Welcome to All Axes, brought to you by Mazak, a podcast where we interview the people helping to shape the future of manufacturing to give you a better understanding of where we're heading and why. We believe that with an understanding of technology, workforce, and market trends, you can always grow your business. My name is Thielen Henderson, and I'll be your host. Joining me today is Jim O'Toole, Machine Shop Manager for Team Penske. This is our first installment of a series giving you an inside look at the manufacturing arm of Team Penske. Team Penske has been partnered with Mazak since 1991. All right, Jim, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, Thielen, thanks thanks for having me. Hey, my pleasure. Uh, What do you love about manufacturing? You know, this is a question that I think my answer has changed or developed over the past few years. You know, Mm -hmm. probably eight, ten years ago when I was directly involved with making parts, it would have been, you know, seeing things turn from a block of billet into whatever component that may be, whether it's a race car (laughs) part, an aerospace part. You know, now looking at it from a higher level, you know, the, the coolest thing I think about it is seeing people's personal growth Um, when it comes to developing their skill sets and being able to see them achieve, you know, tasks that they may have not even thought that they'd be able to achieve. So, you know, with, so it's almost like, it's like the, the, you, you enjoying the parts being made and now you're watching people learn how to make them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the, you know, when, when I was hands-on with it, it was, it was very direct to, to have personal pride in, in what you made. Now, mm-hmm. I have the luxury of taking personal pride in seeing what my team produces. Um, so That's cool. It, it's, it's really cool to be able to see people learn and grow um, and yeah. continue to build on, on what they know and what they like to do and, and, and really get excited about being able to take the challenges on and get things done. That, that, that's a nice statement towards your culture. So. Well, tell me about the Team Penske Machine Shop. So the Team Penske Machine Shop is just a, a small microcosm of what we do here at Team Penske. You know, Team Penske has about 470 employees within our Mooresville facility here. Mm-hmm. The machine shop falls under our production group, which also um, entails our carbon fiber shop and our uh, additive manufacturing lab. And the machine shop itself, we have 17 employees um, over two shifts that we run operations on. Okay. How many machines do you think you have in total there? Uh, we have 11 CNC machines um, and some uh, associated manual support equipment, too. Gotcha. So the 470 uh, that work in Mooresville, are they all uh, manufacturing-focused? employees or no that's that's really everything that's up to our company president down through our marketing departments the people that you see travel um the drivers all all of them are included in that number the production group do you guys have outside customers or do you primarily support the race team um we we don't have outside customers but we do have multiple customers from my standpoint so Mm -hmm. with within the with within the facility here um, we have three and then we also have a fourth, which, uh, you know, to lay them out, uh, real quick, you know, the, the first being our NASCAR shop where we support all the NASCAR operations. Then we have our IndyCar team. We have our, um, Acura Daytona prototype team. And then we have what we call Penske technology group, who is a research and development, um, facility who we support where we have a scale wind tunnel model and a seven post, um, where we do, um, simulation for for some of our cars so none of those customers i guess 
really are concerned with the other customers' demands. So we are smack dab in the middle of what Got most job shops are in the middle of, where we're trying to satisfy demands of all of our customers, regardless of how it impacts another customer. So it's a constant juggle um, driven by, you know, race implementation points, testing, things like that, just trying to figure out how we can achieve all of these components within the allotted time to meet deadlines. So basically you have four customers, all of which who uh, are directly involved with you, and your responsibility is to make sure all of their deadlines are met and, and all of them are taken care of. Yes, they're all jockeying for, for your time and your resources and your manpower. Yeah, they're, um, you know, we have a number of spindle hours in terms of capacity on a weekly, monthly, yearly basis. And everybody is competing for a time slot um, in order for us to be able to provide them the parts they need to get to the racetrack. So from your point of view, keeping all four of them happy and meeting their deadlines, that's the definition of success for you. That is the definition of success. You know, um, a lot of shops, you know, you focus on things like spindle utilization, uptime, um, you know, 100% quality focused, all those types of things. Sometimes in our industry, spindle utilization and uptime suffers because there are instances where if we have tight deadlines to meet, we might perform some preparatory operations on machines before we have everything that's needed. For example, a part we know is releasing tomorrow and engineering's given us the heads up. So we've ordered material. Um, we get programming on it. We, we go ahead and the following morning, get the machine completely set up, basically short of the piece of material that we need to machine. Right. When that piece of material hits the dock at whatever time that is, it's in the machine and it's making parts. So there might be a, you know, a one hour, two hour lag that we're actually at a standstill because we're waiting for that material to hit the floor. But it's a necessity because we can't be in the middle of another job and break it down to set up the, the quickly needed component that we need to produce. Right. So your turnaround time for a part, is is that dependent upon uh, race day or, or do you have leeway when it comes to that? So, you know, one thing where we differ is we don't have, I guess, there's no such thing as a soft delivery date. You right. know, the Daytona 500 doesn't move because the car's <laughs> not ready to go to the track. I think it moved so, because of weather, but yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. But in terms of saying, hey, hold on, Penske didn't get what they needed done. We, we're going to have to run this next week. That doesn't right. happen, right? So implementation and deadlines are based a lot on necessity and also performance characteristics. You know, for example, we had an instance last year in 2019 um, mm -hmm at the first race of, uh, in Las Vegas and our engineering department Friday morning of the race. Now they raced on Sunday. So this was the Friday before that two days before that they had found there was a steering component that we could improve on in order to gain a competitive advantage. Interesting. That morning they say, we're going to be releasing this component. So we worked with engineering to, make sure that it was achievable in terms of manufacturability without, you know, discrete tooling, custom things that needed to be ordered and able to produce it to make sure that we could hit the ground running when the release happened. The other thing we did was, you know, we put some, uh, some action into how we were going to staff this to make this work. And this is probably one of the most critical points that I can stress is having a team who can understand and adapt how 
the inputs that they put into race weekends drives success. You know, I, I right. walked into the office and to the shop floor and I said, hey, listen, we need to have some parts to go to the track by Saturday morning. So we're going to take half of you guys and I'm going to send you home right now. And this was about 1030 in the morning. And I said, we'll send you home now and you're going to come back in about 1030 tonight. And then the other half, I said, hey, from here forward, we're going to work until 1030 tonight in order so that we have no gap in terms of of manpower coverage throughout the night. And everyone, I'm sure nobody was excited about it, but everybody understood that this is what we needed to do to have the best shot at at winning the race. You know, engineering releases the component about 1030, 11 o'clock that morning. And this was something that had to run in our multi-axis area. It was set up on our very axis, I-700. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a, a programmer working on programming in CAM software, the first operation. But we knew that you know we couldn't depend on having one person trying to manage the, th- the throughput of this part. Right. And we needed to utilize other equipment in the shop. So we have a lot of people on the floor who are very strong in Mazatrol. So for the second operation of the part, as well as the fixturing, we were able to kick that off in conjunction with the first operation programming going on, getting fixturing ready. You know, we were able to load the model into the control and utilize that to program a fixture and program different things. So again, we could be prepped in order to have everything ready so as things start flowing through, we don't have any downtime. And all said and done, our goal was to deliver six parts by 8.30 a.m. the next morning in order to get them to the track. And we were able to achieve that, working basically that entire 24-hour cycle. No kidding. The cars go to the track, and that race, Joey Logano won, and Brad Keselowski finished second. So that's like the immediate feedback of, hey, what we did was a success, and all of those efforts and exhaustion and pain was worth it. Well, that's got to that's create for a real team atmosphere and a real nice uh, clear culture where you're all working towards a single goal and you achieve it like that. Yeah, and the, and the nice part is, too, is that the company, every time we have these race wins, they go out of their way to recognize that by we, ha- we have a win toast the next day where uh-huh. we all knock off uh, out, uh, an hour early from work around three o'clock and they bring yeah. in some food. They bring in, um, you know, a, a beer truck so that we can have some, <laughs> some Miller light and, uh, and the drivers come in, they thank everybody. Uh, they usually have somebody from the shop go up and do a toast. And we have stickers that we put up on there to, to keep track of how many wins we went throughout the year. So again, that, that attitude, first off, it was enough for us to have the, what I would call manufacturing success of being able to achieve our deadline, which that in itself was prideful for me and prideful for everyone on the team that we could take something that was on a piece of paper at 10 a.m. the morning before, and it was at in Las Vegas at 2 p.m. the next day. Wow. And then on top of that, you follow it up with the fact that you're able to go out and do exactly what you're supposed to do to show how successful you are to win the race. I love that story. I, I, I'm fascinated by how quickly you guys are able to turn things around and then get them onto the track that quickly. Um, how often do things like this happen? I mean, do you get real-time feedback from drivers the next day, or is the engineering team uh, usually give you advice a month or so out? How does that occur? There's definitely not a one-size-fits-all answer there, you know. Well, of course, um, yeah. 
you know, one thing, one thing, especially on the NASCAR side, is that there's not really a lot of testing to be done. The tests are the race. Um, right. You know, there's not a lot of on-track testing that you could say, let's go out and try this part and see how it reacted. So there's a lot of times on race weekends that you have new components on the car that you're trying to verify their performance characteristics. Prior to that, it's based off of simulation models or, or wind oh, so tunnel take- testing. So you're taking parts that have been tested, you know, in laboratory settings and, and theoretical, and that, but but not actually uh, in race conditions, putting them on the car, and then just hoping your results yield out. Correct, correct. And there's mainly because there is no, um, there there's limitations from NASCAR as to how much testing can be done, and there's very limited times where you have tests where you can have a car actually on track. So oh, wow. it, it, it's interesting because it, it's risky at points because you're, you're trying parts that are unproven that you have a level of certainty that the reliability is there, but there's no guarantee. Oh, and, right. and a part failing prematurely during a race is, is likely a race ending. So wow. there's, there's a lot of, um, angst in some instances as you create new components engineering creates new components and you're sitting down on the couch watching it and you're just saying okay let's let's hope everything goes as planned here and when something does fail you know um it's it's kind of that that feedback loop is very quick um the feedback happens almost instantaneously you know um when you talk about that that bad bad news has a way of traveling quickly like that Absolutely. And, and, you know, our, our competition group, which consists of our, um, crew chiefs and our competition director, they, they, they debrief every, every Monday when they come back from the track to talk about what worked, what didn't work. And those notes get dispersed to the proper people in the proper channels to understand what needs to be addressed. And a lot of times that will kick off engineering's new design work based Mm -hmm. on that feedback, whether it's improvements or whether it's total redesigns. The amount of time that takes sometimes in order for them to redesign and implement they want it to be quick. So if they yeah. come back on a Monday after a race at Atlanta, for example, and then the following week we're running at Texas, which is also an intermediate track, which would utilize very similar parts as Atlanta. If, if, if they come back and say, this part's not doing what we want it to do. It's a very quick redesign and w- want to make the attempt to have parts either on the car before it leaves or the ability to hand carry it by putting it on an airplane to have it for the following race weekend in Texas. Um, so that, that time frame is, it's really dependent upon uh, race schedules when this feedback happens, level of severity. Um, but our, our goal is always if engineering or if the competition groups feels that, something's going to make us more competitive, the deadline is ASAP because the faster we can get it onto the car to either prove or disprove its validity makes us more competitive as we go throughout the year. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, the only test, if the only testing that can truly be done is getting it on the racetrack, then you want it on there as soon as possible. Uh, we're going to stop there for today, but we're going to pick up our conversation with Jim on our next episode. Uh, I do want to thank Jim for joining us today. 
Be sure to subscribe to All Axes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, or you can always visit our website at mazakusa.com for the latest episode.